0: The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, September 29, 2019, on the basis of Luke 10, verses 17-20. through 20. For more information, or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. It's amazing how much people are willing to fight over a line. Just as the sun was coming up here this morning, the sun was getting ready to set in a place called Wagga, India. Wagga is this little town that's located right on the border between India and Pakistan. And that line that separates those two countries is one of the most hotly disputed and heavily defended borders in all the world. For much of that 2,000-mile stretch separating those two countries, there are electric fences and barbed wire set up. It's protected on either side by all kinds of landmines and thousands of heavily armed troops. In fact, this is the one international border in all the world that is actually visible from outer space. You can see it right there because of all of the lights that light it up on both sides. Well, each and every day... In this place called Wagga, India, as the sun is getting ready to set, there is a ceremony right on that line with a few Indian troops and a few Pakistani troops on either side. It's a ceremony that is accompanied by all kinds of staring and all kinds of posturing. There's a lot of shouting and even a little bit of dancing. But at the end of this ceremony, it ends with a, oh, at least a cordial handshake as both countries lower their flags and close the gates entering into their countries for the day. That ceremony is a daily reminder of the fact that the tension between those two countries still exists, but at least for the time being, both are willing to cease fire. That ceremony takes place every day at sundown. It has been happening for the past 60 years almost without stop, and not only does it take place every day, but every day, hundreds, if not thousands of people show up to watch. In fact, there is an entire stadium built around this line just so people can sit there and watch it. People travel from great distances away. Celebrities and dignitaries come from all over the world just to watch this ceremony. And maybe that all sounds a little bit strange to you. But believe it or not, it actually should, should sound very familiar. Think about it. Stadiums filling up with thousands of people, all to watch a bunch of big, tough, scary-looking men dressed up in funny-looking uniforms fighting over a line. (laughs) And in our case, the line that they're fighting over isn't nearly as significant. Whether it's the line of scrimmage in a football game or an international border like the one between India and Pakistan, it is amazing how much people are willing to fight over a line. And yet none of that compares to what we are going to be talking about today and the the fighting that is the focus of Jesus' attention in the verses we'll be looking at. For the past several weeks, we've been talking about being divided by Jesus, how Jesus came to draw a line that separates both the world and in many cases separates our own lives into two parts. And what we're going to see today is that the fighting that exists over that line, the tension and the conflict that it causes, is far more than simply what we see and what we experience in our lives. That on either side of this line, there are very powerful, very terrifying spiritual forces battling with one another. On the one side, you've got Satan and his ranks on ranks of evil angel armies. On the other side, you've got Michael and his angels. And they are in constant conflict, fighting over this line, fighting, in other words, over you. One side in this battle is pure evil, wanting to tear you away from God. One of it is pure good, wanting to keep you with God forever. And they are always and ever in constant fighting with one another. That's what we're going to see as we look at these verses from Luke chapter 10 this morning. We're going to see that there is cosmic war taking place at the line that Jesus has drawn. So the backdrop for these verses from Luke 10 is that Jesus has sent out 72 of his disciples, two by two, into a bunch of towns and villages ahead of Him. These towns and villages are largely in Gentile territory. In other words, where people do not know the word of God and do not know the one true God. In other words, you might say this is sort of a a full-scale invasion of territory that is otherwise largely ruled by evil. And you heard how when the disciples came back, these 72, they were overjoyed. They said to Jesus, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. In other words, in, in Jesus' day, these disciples went out and they found people that were actually possessed by demons, people whose bodies had been taken captive and were being controlled by demons. But as the disciples went out and preached the word of God, they were able to push back, you might say, those powerful forces of evil. And so, naturally, they were, they were pretty excited about that. This would maybe be a place to pause and say that the thing that we're talking about in church today, the thing that Jesus is talking about in these verses, is a thing that a lot of people today would be, well, let's just say a little bit skeptical of. Cosmic war, angels and demons, demon possession. I mean, come on, let's get with the program. It's 2019, we don't believe in that stuff anymore. It's a very intellectually fashionable position to hold, you might say, today. But practically speaking, believe it or not, it's a very difficult position Actually, live by. People in our modern world like to say that really the only world that exists is the material world. The only true reality is what we can see and experience. And yet, more and more studies are showing that people actually live just the opposite. In other words, that people are actually getting more spiritual in our modern world than less. Think, for example, of how many times you hear something like karma. Reference a spiritual force at work in our world. How many times even just the universe is described as if it's sort of this impersonal spiritual thing that's somehow guiding and directing our lives. Think about how many people are willing to try different forms of meditation. How many people are willing to go to someone to try and help them tell their future. How many people are willing to go to a medium to help them get in contact with the dead? People are not becoming more sp- or less spiritual. They're actually becoming more spiritual. And not only that, but if we fail to recognize the very real spiritual presence and spiritual power that is at work in our world, we will never be able to fully come up with an adequate explanation for the evil that we see. I think most people would agree that there's a lot of evil going on in our world, right? Well, what exactly explains that? I want to mention just a couple examples from just this past week. I don't know if you heard, but there was a school out in Southern California where a fight took place that sort of made national headlines this week. There were two students at the school that were sort of squared off, facing each other, sort of shouting at each other back and forth. All of a sudden, one of the students hauls off and punches the other one right in the face. Right after he does that, the the guy's friend comes from the side and, and sucker punches the same kid in the side of the head. The kid falls to the ground, hits a cement pillar on his way down. A couple days later, he dies. Oh, by the way, this is at a middle school in Southern California. Or as one more example, that story I told you last week, you remember that one, the story about Carson King and the Children's Hospital and his bush light that he was trying to get money for? Did you hear what happened this week? Someone at some paper in Iowa dug up a bunch of old tweets that Carson King had written back when he was 16 years old, tweets that were deemed unacceptable. And so as a result, Anheuser-Busch decided to completely cut ties with the guy and now he's facing all kinds of criticism. And not only that, but wouldn't you know that reporter who dug up those old tweets? Very same thing happened to him. Someone else found a bunch of old tweets that he had written and he got fired from the newspaper. Why does this happen? Why do we do this to each other? And forget about all of the headlines that that get attention out there. What about the headlines that more closely impact our lives? The strife that exists between a husband and a wife, the, the tension, the name-calling, the anger, the outbursts that take place in a home, the deception in the workplace, the gossiping and the backstabbing, backstabbing and the bullying that take place in a school. What is the explanation for all of those things? Is that really just our hardwiring that we inherited from our primate ancestors going haywire and not, not operating correctly anymore? That doesn't adequately explain it. There are powerful spiritual forces at work in our world, and there is visible evidence that that we see, just like Jesus' disciples did, of that war. And yet, believe it or not, that's not where Jesus wants our attention to be. The disciples come back, and and they're so excited about what they had seen in visible evidence in this war, but Jesus directs their attention to a much deeper, invisible reality. They're excited about, how the fact that, about the fact that they've driven out these demons. And Jesus responds to them by saying, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, as you were going out and preaching God's word, what was happening there was not just that a bunch of Satan's foot soldiers were kind of getting pushed around and pushed back a little bit, but Satan himself, the head honcho, the big guy, the commander-in-chief, he was getting booted out of heaven as that was going on. And so Jesus tells them to rejoice in that and then concludes by saying, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's the invisible reality of this war that Jesus wants us to focus on, that the real battleground between good and evil is not taking place here on earth, it's taking place in heaven, where Satan loves nothing more than to appear before the throne of God and do his favorite thing in the world to do, namely, to accuse us to point the finger at us before God and bring to God's attention all of the crimes that we have committed, evidence for which, of course, he has absolutely no shortage. It is in abundant supply. And yet Jesus is saying that when the word of God is preached, when the good news of Jesus goes out and someone holds on to that good news in faith, it is as if Satan gets kicked out of the room He has no place there anymore. He has no standing. He has no ability to bring those charges anymore. Why? Because Jesus' blood has paid for each and every one of those sins. And as a result, that person's name has been written in God's book of life. I think we can almost picture it. Satan appears before God and he says, God, I want to talk to you about Jim. You know, Jim, who comes home from work each day, tired and stressed out and takes it out on his family. Jim, who seems like a pretty nice guy, but drinks way too much. Jim, who treats his co-workers like absolute garbage. Jim, who has plenty of time for his fantasy football league and his poker night and his hunting season, but he doesn't really do a whole lot to be the spiritual leader of his family. Jim, who who seems like a faithful husband, but loves to flirt with women who are not his wife. God, I would love to talk to you about Jim. And God says, Jim. Jim. Jim, Jim, where have I heard that name before? That name sounds familiar to me. Oh, oh, yeah, right here it is, written in my book. Satan, he doesn't belong to you. This is one that belongs to me. At his baptism, I adopted him into my family. And through word and sacrament, I have kept that faith In his heart, strong. I know it doesn't always look like it, and I know that everything you're saying about Jim is true, but believe it or not, every one of those sins has already been paid for. And look right here in this book is proof Jim is on my side, not yours. That's the invisible reality of this war that Jesus wants us to see. And it's a good thing he calls our attention to it, because otherwise, I think, like the disciples, we would all too often get focused just on the the visible evidence and lose sight of that invisible reality. I think about it. For the past several weeks, we've been talking about all the different things in our world and in our lives that might divide us from Jesus, that might come between us and him. And if we were to just think about that on our own and maybe come up with examples, what, what does Jesus want to divide me from because it might divide me from him? What might be some examples? Well, I know that Jesus probably wants to divide me from drugs and alcohol. And I know that Jesus wants to divide me from adultery and from pornography. And I know Jesus probably wants to divide me from the casino and the bar and the strip club. But if you've been here for the past several weeks, you know that we haven't talked about a single one of those things. Because Jesus hasn't been talking about a single one of those things. Instead, he's been talking about dividing us from friends and family, dividing us from our money and our possessions, dividing us from jobs that we need and activities that we enjoy, dividing us from things that are good and that are healthy, things that don't harm anyone and, in fact, in a lot of ways, make our lives and make the world a better place. But he's been talking about dividing us from those things because Satan knows that those are the very things he can use to separate us, to come between us and God. Remember again that this is a war. And rest assured, Satan is more than happy to lose a lot, a lot of battles as long as he can win the war. He is perfectly happy to let us be good husbands and wives, good parents and children, good employees and good classmates. He's perfectly happy to, be, to let us be well-liked and well-respected and never hurt a fly as long as he can have us with him forever. And he's smart enough to know that probably the best way for him to try and divide us from Jesus is with something that otherwise looks very, very good, very, very healthy, very, very beneficial, a blessing from God. That's how he can separate us from our one and only connection to God. That's God's word and his sacraments. That's the the deeper and invisible reality of this war that Jesus wants to make sure that we see. And not only does he want to make sure that we see what's really going on. He also wants us to see how the outcome of this war is going to turn out. Because otherwise it could be a pretty scary thing, I think, right? The the idea that the devil and ranks on ranks of his evil angel armies are all working against us, trying to pull us away from God in ways that are very subtle and very deceptive. It would be the scariest thing in all the world, if not for the people who are fighting on our side. And today, St. Michael and all angels is, first of all, a good opportunity to remember who's on our side. Yes, we have many enemies in this war, but we also have many allies. There are ranks and ranks of evil angel armies, but there's also St. Michael, commander of all God's good angels who are sent, who are deployed in service to us. And yes, they keep us safe from things like car accidents, for example, but they are also here to be our allies in this spiritual war against evil. That yes, Satan is allowed to have influence in our world and in our lives, but rest assured, he can only go so far. There is a line that he is not allowed to cross, and God's angels make sure that he doesn't cross it. Not only do we have allies in this war, but we also have a secret weapon. We have the one thing against which Satan is absolutely powerless. And not only do we have it, but we have it... At our fingertips. We have it in such a way that we can use it whenever we want. We don't just have one shot that we can fire at him. We don't just have one magazine full of bullets. We never need to reload. We can have it whenever and wherever we want. And that weapon, of course, is the Word of God. Satan cannot possibly stand up against that. You put these two together the fact that we have allies in this war and we have also been given a secret weapon in this war. And, and I like to picture it this way picture us sort of squaring off against Satan for. A knockdown, drag out, fist fight to the death. And first of all, our allies come along, St. Michael and all his angels, and, and they hold Satan's arms behind his back, severely cramping and limiting his ability to attack us. And then God puts the Word of God in our hands to give us the ability to just come up to Satan and punch and punch and punch and punch until we can't punch anymore. And the only thing that can stop it, the only thing that's eventually going to bring it to an end, is when Jesus returns and says, Okay, enough. Let's put him out of his misery and let's lock him up in a dungeon where he can never harm anyone again. Friends, rest assured Satan is not a quitter. He is never going to wave the white flag. He is never going to surrender. But rest assured he is a loser in this war. The second Jesus emerged from the grave victorious over the devil, that victorious outcome was guaranteed. And I think that's what makes me like that hymn so much. That hymn we've been singing for the past several weeks as part of this series. We're going to sing it again at the end of church today. And I think the refrain especially just so beautifully captures what Jesus is telling us in these verses. Sing with joy, afflicted one. The battle's fierce, but the victory's won. God shall supply all that you need. Yes, as your days, your strength shall be. Amen.